Hello and welcome to the Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Heritage. My name is Bishop Darby. I'll be your host today. Last week we left off with Saul, the young man out of Tarsus with big dreams, the tent maker. Standing in Jerusalem, the city of promise, fashioning himself as the new Elijah, the Messiah who could come and really save his people in the same form of the Maccabees. And though he himself did not believe that he was the ultimate Messiah, the true hero, he believed he was the second coming of Elijah, of Moses, someone who could lead Israel back to the promises of God. Quickly, though, at his time in Jerusalem, he would have found that, well, he had some opposition. Most notably was his teacher, Gamaliel. As he started the school, he would have quickly learned that the zeal that he had, the fiery rage, the desire to overthrow the nations and conquer, was not shared by his instructor. Gamaliel, as you may remember from a couple of podcasts ago, was widely respected as one of the most gentle thinkers. He had a very much a live and let live approach, as we see throughout the biblical text. Gamaliel didn't want violence. In fact, he often taught against it. He was one of the biggest critics of the Sicarii, a group of Jewish extremists who were fighting for independence, people that Paul would have looked up to. Early on in his tenure, there was a lot of tension between Gamaliel and Saul, the young, fiery kid, the zealot, and the old, wise pacifist. It was during this time, under the school of Gamaliel, that Saul set out his own course and decided that maybe a life of scholarship wasn't for him. Instead, he wanted to take a more hands-on approach to protecting Judaism. But he really didn't know what that looked like or what that could be. Like many of us who ever were 16, 17 years old trying to figure out what we wanted to do with our life, Saul felt a little lost. That was until a fateful moment. When he was an upperclassman close to graduation, he was given the opportunity, as many, of them, as many of the students were, to sit in on the Sanhedrin, to sit in the synagogue and listen to the elders debate and talk. And one day Saul found himself in there when a man was brought in on trial. It was one of those pesky Jesus followers, those self-prescribed Jews who had found the Messiah. This man was named Stephen, and he was thrown before the Sanhedrin. Stephen would go on to give one of the most powerful sermons that really would have shaped young Saul's life. In fact, the style, the flow of Stephen's sermon there in the Sanhedrin had a lasting effect on Saul, as we see those are similar words to, that Saul would offer in his own defense later on. You can imagine the shock as this rebel, this almost Gentile, this Christian, began to give a lesson very similar to what he had always believed, starting with God and then going to Torah, to the Exodus, through the prophets. But when he got to the part when Stephen began to talk about how the Messiah had come in the form of Jesus, that was enough. Saul had heard enough. Saul would have had some interaction with Jesus, we at least presume. 
They would have been in Jerusalem right around the same time. Saul was probably in Jerusalem, if not definitely in Jerusalem, during the crucifixion of Christ. Though, we don't really know how much Saul cared. I mean, Jesus was just another criminal, another heretic that deserved to die. But when Stephen began to teach, something clicked in Paul's brain. Young Saul began to to see Christians as a threat because, well, their theology made sense. It flowed. The anger and the, the vitriol that was emanating throughout the Sanhedrin was a fire inside of Saul himself. As they drug Stephen out and began to stone him, it was Saul who first grabbed the rocks before he remembered he was too young to participate. And then willingly grabbed the garments, cheering on his brethren, as stone after stone cracked the bones and the flesh of Stephen. And then in that moment, when Stephen, right before death, proclaimed that the heavens parted, and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God, you can imagine Saul dropping the robes and charging at Stephen. Because how dare he? How dare he attack the very foundation of the religion he had lived his life for? How dare he blaspheme that some peasant from Galilee could ever become the son of Yahweh? This moment shaped Saul and it gave him purpose. He saw up close and and personally the damage and the danger of this Christian movement that was sweeping throughout Jerusalem, and he decided to take it on himself to end it. As soon as he graduated, he got papers that he needed and began a persecution of the Jews, so much so that in Acts it says, uh, unlike any other, and unlike any other. This persecution, beyond measure, gave him a reputation, a reputation that for years would plague him. For years would define him. On one of his journeys, he was passing through the road of Damascus, ready for his newest wave of persecution, when his life changed forever. And many of you who are listening to this podcast know the story, and so I don't necessarily want to rehash it for you. But I would like to take just a moment and set you in the mind of Paul during that moment during that fateful conversion on the road to Damascus. In Jewish custom, there was a process, a discipline of prayer that was developed over the course of hundreds of years by many of the greatest uh, Jewish mystics and sages. It was a process of fasting, of closing your eyes, of meditating, of using incense and smells in order to transcend your present moment. You would repeat the Shema over and over and over and over in your head as a mantra. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You would do it until the rhythm, the cadence, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, became clear. And then you would pair your breathing with your heartbeats. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Over and over and over again for hours on end. Not eating, not drinking, picturing and praying. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The mystics and the sages believed that once you did that enough, 
that you could tune out all of the world around you, that you could shut down your brain and that you could open yourself up to a vision or a message from God. So along the road of Damascus, sitting there on his animal, he began to engage in this form of prayer, tuning out the chatter of the other Jews around him, tuning out the sounds of the birds or the whipping of the wind. He began his cadence. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And hours went by. The gentle rhythm of him riding along the road. Until eventually, the light broke on the scene. Until eventually, the heavens parted. And Paul heard a voice from heaven. You can imagine that he believed that he had finally done it. He had transcended that he was getting the message of Yahweh that he had longed for. That this was going to be the moment when all of his years of persecution and study, his zealotry and his passion were going to be applauded. That God had opened the heavens to tell this young tent maker from Tarsus that you, Saul, you are my new Elijah. That you are going to change Israel, liberate my people. You will get right the morality of this broken society, and you, you will be the Maccabee. You will be the paradigm shift. You will be my champion. But instead, the voice that came, unlocked by the prayer and the cadence and the meditation, was not a voice of affirmation. It was a foreign voice. Saul, Saul, why? Why do you persecute me? In that moment, I want you to take a a second, try to picture that. The hours and hours of meditation and prayer leading you to this revelation, the years you have spent in deep and meaningful study, all of it. In just a couple of words, shattered. His identity, his life, changed forever. This moment would go on to change him. He, remaining blind for three days, was led into Damascus. And during this time, he still refused food and water. Continuing the Shema, the cadence, the rhythmic breathing and the meditation, hoping that in, though his eyes were darkened, that his mind could be opened and he could receive another revelation from God, something to make sense of his entire worldview shattering. So for three days and three nights, he sat there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, begging God to show him anything, something to make sense of the mess. But it wasn't God who would speak to him again. No, It was a man by the name of Ananias who would come and fill him with the Holy Spirit and change Saul's life forever. What do you do when your entire life is changed? What do you do when everything you thought you knew is overturned in just a simple moment? What do you do when you find yourself lost? Well, you go home. And so did Saul. We'll pick up next week as this young man, still full of zeal, tries to pick the pieces of his life back together. We'll follow him from a tent shop in Tarsus to martyrdom in Rome. 
We'll see you next week.